Vedix Assemble! I'm Vedic Kira Brandy. <laughs> and I'm Vedic Shakanik. You got me off guard. <laughs> and this the is Vedic the Vedic Assembly. Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> I love messing it up. It's fun. Yeah. I wasn't going you do to do it, and then I thought, no, I'm doing it. Just doing that. <laughs> that. That was actually one of my favorites. Fedic lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember how we got to that. I was talking about lasagna earlier because <laughs> that's what I'd had for dinner, and uh, it just came out of my mouth because I thought, "Oh, that'd be funny." <laughs> Who's named Vedic lasagna? I mean, it, it sounds kind of almost Italian. Well, it is Italian. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> off the rails. I'm starting off by going off the rails so um yeah we're out in the weeds already okay. sorry uh, <clears throat> that's fine that's good out <laughs> in the weeds is the best place to hide from the cardassians if that is so true that is so true because you have to blend in mm -hmm. with your surroundings of and you'll be harder to see so very smart so who knew i was doing something right <laughs> <laughs> not ah <laughs> <sighs> Okay. Well, how how is your how is your, have you been, Nick? How I've you been, been pretty well. Um, we had uh, I think twenty nine new COVID cases yesterday, so it's uh, back down into lockdown for at least another couple of weeks, um, which is not too bad. It's better than um, just letting it run rampant. I'm a little sad at what this means for um, uh, my sister's wedding, which is supposed to be happening late next month. So. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I know she'll be very upset if it has to be postponed again. It was originally meant to be September last year, but Ooh. yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. We're so uh, far, yeah, we're safe, we we're we... healthy. Yes, I'm. I'm so proud of you. I I am in the exact opposite situation. Mm. Um, we're having uh, over a thousand a thousand cases a day again. And there is no, nothing, there's nothing being done about it. Nothing. They haven't reinstated the mask mandate. They haven't, uh, you know, I mean, all the ICUs are full all over the state mm. and they, uh, they're, they're doing nothing. Yeah. Because my rights, no, just... my rights, you can't infringe on my rights. I'm sorry. You don't have the right to kill other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And by not getting vaccinated, that is what you are potentially doing. Oh, yeah. It's, I just... But whatever. It's, it's staggering. Especially, like, I... And I know that a lot of people, you know, when you give the examples, it's like, oh, you know, Vietnam, New Zealand, you know, shut it down. They've got nothing. And, like, here in Australia, we complained a lot because we were worse than New Zealand. It was still better than most other places. And then I hear a lot of folks in America being like, ah, oh, but like, you know, population differences and stuff. Utah and Victoria have pretty much the same population. I looked it up. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's what happens when you live in a conservative state mm -hmm. and they're not, they're not doing anything about it. They're not limiting gatherings. They're not telling people to... Uh, get vaccinated. Um, well, the smart people are, but yeah. the people who make the laws, 
aren't doing anything. And uh, so we're we're going to be in this for my guess is at least another couple years. So thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for that, Utah. You suck. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you can hear the parrots screaming at each other, but I can. <laughs> I love it when it shows up on the track too, because I'm like, nah, I'm not muting. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's nature. Yes. That's why I live out here. We've got a, <laughs> a, a, I say a family. There's a you know a few um, like mated pairs of um, uh, native king parrots that have started getting really, really oh. tame. Oh, nice. You're making friends. I want to teach them to talk. <laughs> I don't like I mean they're parrots, but I don't know if they're if they're mir- mimics. But if mm. they are, that'd be really fun. Well, they tend to be very intelligent birds. So Oh, they are. I mean, you can teach cockatoos to talk. Mhm. Yeah. They're apparently um <laughs> there used to be a pair of um white sulfur-crested cockatoos at Auckland Zoo. Um, and th- this shows how long lived they are as well, because my mum remembers seeing these um, birds from, you know, when she would go there when she was a kid. And then she brought us to see them, you know, the the same ones at the zoo there, you know, when, when we were kids. Uh, and they would just sit there and offer people cups of tea. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I know they're very long lived. I've heard that they can live, you know, 60 years or more. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, don't get a parrot unless you want to have a lifetime pet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get any pet unless you are or, prepared or for, you know, whatever the lifetime yeah. of said pet will be. Yeah, don't get a dog to put them out in the backyard all day. Please don't do that. Oh, my God, yeah. Please don't. People do that here all the time mm. in the heat, in the snow. doesn't matter. If that's the reason, if if that's where the dog is supposed to live, then just don't get a dog. Just don't get a dog. The dog is supposed to live in the house with you. Yeah. Cats too. That's all point. Yeah, I'm very passionate about don't let, especially at night, but ideally anytime, just like keep your cats inside. If, if Especially if you live in a place like this with all of the wildlife. <laughs> Apex predators eat up it. and down. Well, they don't even, yeah. apparently they don't even necessarily eat it. I read something recently that, like, because of the domestication process, domestic cats are kind of trapped in this juvenile mindset of being, um, I think it was called, like, reflex hunters, where they will basically just, like, it's why they chase a bit of string. They will, anything small that moves, they will instinctively catch it, whether they actually are hungry and need to eat it or not. And that's yeah, why that's they true. just that's true. decimate, you know, native birds and small mammals and reptiles and everything. Yeah. Well, our cat doesn't go out. Yeah. He, uh, we live about half a block away from a very busy road. Mm, yeah. And you would never know it because we're on this little part of broken street that, you know, it's not a through street in any way. And so we don't get a lot of traffic on our street. But half a block away, it's one of the busiest streets in Ogden because it leads to uh, the freeway. Mm. So we have, our cat has gotten out a couple of times. Mm. One time he darted out when I was coming in from work, when I was still working retail and I got home at like 11 o'clock at night and I didn't realize he'd run out. 
and uh, couldn't find him the next morning. And then Dave ended up finding him in a tree, (laughs) yelling his head off. Oh, poor God. And uh, he was covered in in scratches by the time he got the cat back in. So we do not let the cat out because he... He doesn't. He thinks he likes outside until he gets out there, and then he's like, "Oh, wait a minute! I this hate sucks. this. Yeah, <laughs> this is the worst. I have to deal with other animals out here. What was I thinking?" Mm. But, yeah, like, yeah. My parents still let their cat out during the daytime, um, and it annoys me. Um, but he's getting older, and he stays at home a lot more. Um, but apparent, it, it seems like apparently he got in a big fight with another cat recently because he came home, you know, covered in welts and scratches and just being very, very slow and careful for a while. And apparently he's fine now, but yeah. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. Little Oscar. Well, um, this has been Pet Diaries mm, here on yeah. the Atlantic Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> This is a, a podcast within a podcast. Yeah, pet, pet diaries. diaries. I still I stole the podcast from within a podcast from my brother, my brother, and me. So uh, <laughs> please don't think that I came up with that on my own because they do this segment called Munch Squad. Munch Squad. I feel like <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's the it's the uh, most innovative things coming out of the world of uh, basically fast food restaurants, and it's always so okay. Ridiculous. So ridiculous, and it's amazing. Oh, one of the weirdest things I've seen. Well, not exactly weirdest, but like strange, like you know, like kind of marketing stuff coming out recently of uh, like fast foods is with the Olympics happening. Mm-hmm. Like Subway in Australia have capitalized on the fact that like the Subway brand logo colors are the same as like the Australian like national team colors of like the green and gold. So. <laughs> They're just like, of course, they have. Yeah, they're just like, if you, if you're after a good feed, go the green and gold. Yeah. Well, uh, w- one of the guys, Justin, who actually does the Munch Squad thing, he's the oldest brother. He was talking a few weeks ago about ridiculous flavors of craft dinner or macaroni and cheese, as we know it in the states, but craft dinner if you're in, oh yeah, Canada, or anywhere else. And he was saying, hey, Canada, send me some of these flavors. I want to try them all. Because there were things like cotton candy. No. Actually, he he and his wife and daughters liked it. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, no. One of them didn't like it. One of the daughters didn't like it. But anyway, um, yeah. But uh, they they flooded his P.O. box. Mm. With craft dinner, oh, not no. just the ridiculous flavors, <laughs> just the normal ones. Dinner in general. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I, so, I enjoy weird flavors of things. I mean, you know, I sent you a couple of the uh, interesting like flavors of Tim Tams that are, that Arnott's are making so here. So good, though. So they the and the the Banoffee pie one, which I tried and is really good. Um, I also, while I was playing a, um, uh, so I just bought, uh, 
Vampire the Masquerade Coteries of New York, a visual novel, uh, which I was playing last night. And uh, we decided we'd get some sort of themed snacks. So I bought some red velvet Oreos. Nice. Nice. Uh, also, Pringles have a lot of weird flavors here. You can get like so many. chicken kebab flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen so many. Like the chicken kebab is the one that I can remember because there was they they've done like Taste of the World, and that was for some reason one of the Australia ones. Because you know, for some reason, we've decided that we have a monopoly on um, chicken kebabs. I, I know there's one thing that um, is is an Australian invention, you know, from like uh, kebab shops here that I love, which is known as the HSP, which stands for Halal Snack Pack. Which nice. which is thick cut chips, fries, um, with the kind of like shaved like rotisserie meat that you would normally put in a kebab or a shawarma or whatever, and cheese and the the three sauces: uh, garlic sauce, barbecue, and chili sauce. And it's amazing. Okay. It sounds. My, my tummy made a little, hey, let's have some of that. <laughs> I nearly got myself one for lunch yesterday. Because the uh, there is one kebab shop in our five-kilometer radius. Because well, that's, that's as far as we can go out of our home at the moment. <laughs> we just go anywhere. Mm. Infect anyone. That's that's what we oh. do here. Because we're America. America. America, greatest country in the world. I beg you. <laughs> um, so do I. <laughs> okay, so that's been food diaries. Here okay. <laughs> so, all right, pet diaries, food diaries. <laughs> yes, that was my fault. Food diaries was my fault I'm, because I started explaining much. I'm lot. always happy to talk about so. food. No, oh, me too. Me too. Uh, I love food. But, so but much. Uh, who are we actually here to talk about today? Ah, uh, I don't know. Um, oh, wait a minute. I do know. We're going to do a lovely character study on one Colonel, well, previously Major, Kira Norris, yeah. who apparently in the books ended up being a Vedic. Yeah. That, well, she eventually ended up being the Kai. I think. I haven't read the DS9 Probably. Like, relaunch novels. There's so many. There's so many. I, I could never get to all of them in my lifetime. Someone made an actual, like, reading order timeline, and I tried working my way through it. There's no... Like, if if they would just do audiobooks of them, it would be so easy. I know. I would just... Like, I love listening to the Star Trek audiobooks. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like they only started doing that a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've noticed that. I think with the rise of Audible yeah. becoming a real powerhouse now for being your one-stop shop for audiobooks, mm. uh, that uh, people have realized, oh, yes, people do want audiobooks. People don't have time to read. Yeah. Maybe they're stuck in their car for an hour while commuting. That's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I have trouble focusing on audiobooks when I'm driving because somebody telling me a story in a in a calming voice or whatever, 
is just is going to make me. Yep. <laughs> and then I'm I'm dozing off, so I tend to listen to podcasts while I'm driving mm. because it's not as it's not as structured as far as you know. It's not all of this stuff that someone's just reading out of a book, which is not to say that what's coming from the book isn't exciting, but when it's being read to me, I will fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Calm's fault. Calm, it's all your fault. <laughs> because now every story is a sleep story to me. <laughs> uh, I've listened to enough of the... Um, see, the Star Wars audio books are, uh, are good fun because they have, you know, music and sound effects and all sort of stuff going on. They're... Um, mm-hmm. I... I know because I tried, you can't fall asleep to those. (laughs) I don't know. We have the entirety of the Star Wars radio drama, which is a lot of CDs. And I did fall asleep during those. So (laughs) it's, and it's not to say that they were boring, but it was, uh, it was just so, oh, I know the story. This is familiar. But of course, you know, they expand a whole bunch of Mm. things like, you know, in A New Hope, uh, Leia being tortured by by Vader with the truth serum oh, wow. imperial probe droid thing. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, it could be triggering to some people. Mm. But it was just really more melodramatic, really. But Because that's what it's supposed to be. It's like radio drama. It's, it's radio drama is fun. I listened to the, yes, um, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy original radio play a little nice. I every now and then almost at least once a year I'll listen to it all the way through again because it's just so much fun yeah uh, we back in the day in the in the 40s and 50s there were a lot of radio shows because television wasn't really mm. on the rise yet oh yeah and so there were there were a lot of fun things there were horror things mystery things science fiction things all of these amazing old programs that some of them has to have survived, and I've heard a lot of yeah. them. Oh, and my, like, my parents wow. used to listen to those, especially my dad when he was a kid, because they didn't have a TV until he was like, I, I think probably in his teens, I think. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, he was born in 1950 and grew up in a, you know, a little rural town in New Zealand. So, yeah, just listening to the, the radio shows, they had. Uh, the, like the goon show i think was the one that they really loved that was an export from the uk oh i wish i could remember i know that they got a, a tape you know like an actual old audio tape of um spike milligan stuff for me to listen to nice which is definitely just recorded Very from nice. like radio things that they would listen to oh yeah Anyway, I I could go on about this because, you know, there there are a lot of things I know about American radio dramas, too. But we are here to talk about Kira. Kira Reese. So. Resistance fighter. I I have. Yeah. I have my tiny little bio that I that I wrote. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, So it's just just the basic stuff. So uh, she was born in what is assumed to be 2343. Uh, in Dakur province, Bajor, during the 50-year Cardassian occupation. Uh, She was raised in the Singa refugee camp. 
she uh her family was artisan cast and they were uh, basically sculptors which mm-hmm. i think a lot of people forget <laughs> she has uh two brothers rayon and pol and her father taban and her mother meru which uh, that's an interesting story in and of itself yeah. she was recruited into the shikar resistance cell at age 13 mm. 13. Now, girls do mature faster than boys. So at 13, she was most likely full grown physically. Because I've been this height since I was 12. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. And the one thing that I had forgotten was that her earring was crafted with the metal of a skimmer a Cardassian skimmer that she uh, helped destroy on her very first mission with the Shikar resistance cell. I'd forgotten that too. That is such a cool detail. I know, right? And she wears it for the rest of her days. It's the only one she wears. That So that's that's my little bio for just her early life. That's really cool. I, I love that detail about the earring and it, definitely puts me in mind of like there are so many you know nowadays it's a lot of like souvenirs and stuff that you can buy if you go to um vietnam there'll be like i have a um like a sort of ornamental knife that i bought in sapa so it's the hilt is done with really cool like um long patterns and stuff and i'm pretty sure they said the this is what they said, and I don't really have any reason not to believe them, that the the blade itself was basically the metal for it was taken from, like, a bomb casing or, you know, something uh, that was, you know, dropped by the US during the war. Because there's wow. just so... It's, it's basically just, like, a resource there now, I guess, all of this, you know, metal and stuff left behind by the United States, either like bombs or mines that haven't gone off or just old, you know, jeeps, tanks, whatever that were destroyed. So that, you yeah. know, the, the idea of, you know, a resistance fighter taking something like that and, uh, you know, as a trophy and reforging it into like a, you know, a piece of jewelry or a symbol to wear, that's really cool. Yeah, well, I think that uh, if I remember correctly, when I was reading through everything, which was still not everything because Kira is a massively important character in Deep Space Nine, was that uh, basically everybody thought she was just, you know, a kid and couldn't do anything. Mm. But the minute that skimmer touched ground and Cardassians started coming out, she just started firing and didn't stop until her her clip was empty basically and so she was very instrumental in that being a success Mm. and after that she was afforded respect because she had proved her worth so yeah i it's interesting because i know that the reception of kira was not initially the best Mm. because there were a lot of people saying, well, that's not what a woman in Star Trek should be like. How do you know? How do you, how do you get to say what what a woman in Star Trek should be like? There are all kinds of women in mm. that universe. And that's such a very narrow vision God. of what females should be. And so very sexist mm. as well. 
So I'm pretty sure that most of those comments were coming from men. Oh, yeah. But I'm sure there were a few women who felt the same way. And uh, even Nana Visitor herself said that, I can't do this. This is written This is written like it's for a man. I can't do this, but it's all I want to do. I want to do this <laughs> so much. She just, she felt so passionate mm. about this character, even just during the audition process, that she just wasn't going to let it go without a fight. Cool. She inhabits the role so well. So, so, so well. She's magnificent. And I've seen her on a bunch of other stuff. She was on television a lot in the 80s. She was, uh, you know, and, and she even said herself, yes, I'm, I'm always playing the woman who's worried about her husband or, you know, trying to get a husband or something having to do with, you know, has to do with her relationship Mm. with a man. And this didn't, this was a woman who did not need a man, but if she found one, great, Mm. but she didn't need that to make her whole. And I, that's, I think what appealed to Nana the most is that this woman was an entity unto herself. And, uh, there really didn't need to be all of this other stuff that tends to be attached to women in that time period of television. Mm. That's so good. I just, I I love you, like everything about this character and, and you know, that fact of it that she, I did, cause I didn't even realize the other sort of roles that um, Nana Visitor had played so that, you know, she saw this as like, yeah, a way to kind of, I I guess it was a way for her to get away from being typecast. Because mm. now well, to she, me, like, I think Nana Visitor, I think Kira Norris, like, they're yeah. basically the same person in my mind. <laughs> and I don't know that she'd have a problem with that. Uh, but it was, it was for her, she said that everything about the character was engaging to her. Mm. She'd never been so engaged in the performance of a character before and possibly since. Yeah. But I just, uh, she just goes for it Mm. immediately. Like the first time you see her in deep space nine, you know, within less than a minute, what kind of person she is. And yet there's so much more to her than just those moments portray. And she has a very rich storyline throughout the series. I mean, that's, I feel like that has got to be one of the best introductions to a character in anything, Mm. you know, certainly in Star Trek, because you just instantly know exactly who she is and, and what she has to deal with from every side mm-hmm. she's got in my opinion the toughest job on that space mm-hmm. station for sure because she's being pulled in multiple directions and she always manages to navigate it somehow yeah 
because she's got Cardassians pulling at her. She's got the Federation pulling at her. She's got the Bajorans pulling mm-hmm. at her. Her commanding officer is the Prophet's envoy, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like, that's a lot for one person. But she she keeps it together. Yeah. She, she is fierce in the best way. Mm. Uh, that Yeah, like, that is the best. If you had... If you had to j- just use, like, one word to describe Kira, which you shouldn't because she's such a complicated and complex character, but, yeah, like, fierce is it. And I think fierce is just, like, such a great thing to be. It is. It's... Every woman would love to be known as fierce. Mm. So, but, of course, being fierce often is interpreted in a different way oh. by men. So... Seeing some of the whatever general like I want to say nuclear grade bad takes about mm. Kira about the Bajorans in general and stuff it's just it hurts because like there was a really cool article on Star Trek dot com a little while ago and I should have prepared and remembered who the author of it was because they seemed really cool. Um, there was no social media for them, otherwise I would have tried to contact them and be like, hey, would you want to come on the show? Um, <laughs> uh, but this, um, uh, basically this woman wrote uh, an article about um, how much she loved um, the Bajoran culture and sort of what it sort of represented of this world of where, um, uh, oh yeah, because it was like basically... Um, uh, the way that Bajoran culture is portrayed in the show, at least, like there is seems to be very little, if any, sexism or or kind of strong gender roles within Bajoran society. You know, anyone, you know, regardless of gender, could rise to be the Kai, and there seems to be no restrictions on, you know, religious leaders having ro- romantic relationships or anything like that. Just talking about it. And it was a really cool article, and then I made the mistake of reading the comments on Twitter after someone no, had shared this. And that. one of them was just someone being like, oh, yeah, a religious theocracy um, with uh, that uses terrorist tactics. I'm just like, oh, fuck off. Oh, it's like... Ugh. I feel like you okay. have to actively try to misread the situation to come out with that interpretation of it. Has this person read the Bible? <laughs> I'm just saying, pot, meat kettle, Mm. if that's what you're going to go with, um, maybe look at your own religion God, and mm. see what kind of stuff is going on in there. It's upsetting. Just saying. It It is very upsetting and so typical. It's so easy to, to just be lazy yeah. and not actually think about the connections mm. because what, they should have just let the Cardassians keep killing them and enslaving them. Yeah. And it's like it. And basically raping their planet. Is yeah. that what they should have done? God. Yeah. And it's especially, it. it's upsetting when you think about, the Bajorans as, as any kind of like allegory for any group in real life. I mean, I've said before that, you know, 
I see a lot of parallels between their struggle and that of Palestinians in the modern day. Obviously, there is the big um, sort of parallel with the the Jews living in you know Nazi occupied Europe, mm-hmm. and all uh, all of these sort of situations. It's like you know you'll see some people who just seem to take this really like hard line, and they might even be coming from like. A, a good intentions of trying to be very pacifist and saying, oh no, like violence is always bad. And it's like, that's, that's a really privileged position. Cause like, yeah, if we look at it through, through the lens of, you know, the Bajorans as like a really good allegory, like there was no way that they would be able to, you know, non-violently get the Cardassians off their planet. That just wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And the, the thing is, is that, Pretty much every religion on this planet mm. has some form of the oppressed people, you know, being having to take up arms or whatever mm. and fight for their own freedom, fight for their own rights. Uh, well, you know, according to what I remember, and I can't remember if this was strictly something from LDS doctrine or from Christianity in general, because... You know, I don't, I don't read th- that stuff anymore. But uh, it talks about how there was a war in heaven mm. during which Satan led one third of the hosts of heaven uh, to hell. Basically, if you want to believe in mm. heaven and hell that way, but. That means that God only has a 60 cents percent approval rating. <laughs> and also that enough people were unhappy that there was a war. Mm-hmm. And anyone <laughs> who has the gall and white privilege, because I'm pretty sure this person was white and male. Yes. Uh, that <laughs> Judging by anyone the, uh, that has Twitter avatar. Yeah. At least Twitter avatar yeah. was not like an anime face. Yeah, at least that. <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna have my actual face, or soon, I'm gonna have my lower decks face as my avatar. I have a friend who's doing a commission for me. Awesome. I'm so excited. Anyway, so it's just kind of like yeah. wow. Learn your history mm. of your religion, and learn your history of your country. Mm-hmm. And shut your damn mouth about things of which you know nothing. Yeah. And, or as, uh, uh, Jessie Gender loves to say in a lot of her, um, you know, videos kind of dissecting various pop culture things, uh, nuance is a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It is a thing. Nuance is a thing. (sighs) And that's something that, uh, privileged white men definitely do not get. Yeah. They do not get nuance at all. Yeah. And I and I say this as a you know privileged straight white man who like honestly ten years ago I may have had some of those opinions and like yeah I get sometimes it's hard to unlearn that shit but you can do it. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can. I am living proof. I grew up in the LDS mm-hmm. church, and I have shed pretty much all of that God, I... in every way. So. It can be unlearned, but uh, the, I think the thing that is the hardest to unlearn is the guilt. Mm. There is so much guilt wielding in in that church. It's just, yeah, it's they're impossible standards to live up to. Oh, so. lovely! Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, if if there if there is a God, I'm not saying yes or no, I'm not saying what my personal beliefs are. But if there is a God, uh, it's not going to be a cosmic terrorist withholding their love because I didn't get married in the temple. Mm. So <laughs> you know, it's anyway. I digress. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's actually one thing I find really fascinating about the Bajorans, because this is the first time in Trek that we really have a prolonged exposure to a culture yeah. with very strong religious beliefs. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, one group. There's not a bunch of different religions. There is one religion. Mm. And that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got the people that worship the paw wraiths, but really it's still part of the same religion. Yeah. And that is, that is an amazing thing, mm. getting everybody on board yeah, with that it, one religion. Because there's still, because there's enough kind of difference within Bajoran culture, I think, that as, as we're presented. Like, it doesn't feel as much like a kind of singular monolith like you know the klingons used to be and that sort of stuff so in that sense it does feel intentional that mm -hmm. that the bajoran faith is kind of this unifying thing as opposed to just like oh yeah one planet one culture mm -hmm. yeah but it's not it doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel like one planet one culture exactly yeah because you know, there are people who see things different ways, mm. which is part of the realism of it is not everybody sees everything the same way because that would just be boring yeah. and unrealistic. Yeah. And I love that. Uh, yeah, we get that a lot with um, Kira. I mean, she, I love even, you know, some of the earlier episodes where they're talking about like the Konma, um, mm-hmm. And we start to get the this idea that, like, yeah, because, like, the resistance was all these, you know, disparate cells, often they would, you know, they would have different goals or different methods. Um, yeah, and even in that first episode, she seems, you know, like, I loved this. I remember we mentioned it when we, when we talked about Emissary as well, like, she is basically resigned to the idea that, you know, this provisional government that they've set up is, I think as Quark put it, you know, far too provisional. And she's like, it's <laughs> going to fall and we're going to fall into civil war because they don't have the unifying factor of, like, the common enemy anymore. Mm. That's usually how it works. Yeah. She's, is your, it happened with America. Yeah. With, uh, oh, we're fighting the British, fighting the British, fighting the British. We've defeated the British. Now we've got people who still want to have slaves. Mm. Oh, let's have a war about that. And anyone who says that that was about states' rights can kiss my ass <laughs> because there is nothing in the Articles of the Confederacy that say anything about states' rights. Not one time. Go read it. Mm -hmm. I also love all of, all of these things. Everyone seems to uh, love and me like make memes about um, how the the Confederacy only lasted like sort of four or five years, or whatever it was. <laughs> so everyone's like, um, they'll talk about like whatever, um, like 
you know, certain like Star Trek series or certain like famous persons, like, I don't know, presumably there pr- there are professional wrestlers whose title reigns lasted longer than the Confederacy did. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. And how boring that would be. I mean, gosh, I'm sorry, but don't put a title on somebody for five years. <laughs> just no. no God. Why, why would you do that? See how we always work wrestling into this? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm happy with that. I haven't watched any for ages, but I really need to get back into it. There's no way that I can find to legally watch all of the good AEW stuff here, except obviously AEW Dark, which they put on their YouTube. But yeah, proper dynamite, I can't seem to find. There's also Dark Elevation. Oh, okay. Which is a new show that they added. So uh, so you'll have those two. And uh, you can find those both on YouTube on the AEW channel. Actually, we tend to prefer Dark because there's less wasting of time. <laughs> oh, that's good. Because <laughs> with Dynamite, that's the one that goes out on network TV and... People got to have their promos and, you know, people attacking other people behind the scenes. They've, they've got to fill the, the stuff time that slot. Goes on. Yeah. Uh, but Dark doesn't really have that. And besides the YouTube's, YouTube ads interrupting it in opportune moments, there are no ads there as well. Plus, Excalibur and Taz together are the best sarcastic duo <laughs> to, to ever... Uh. I mean, they just feed off of each other, and it's just hilarious. Is, it is hilarious. Is, is Orange Cassidy still in it? Is he still doing his his gimmick that he's oh, yeah. like really, really bored? Oh yeah, yeah, that's his thing, <laughs> and everybody loves. Him I for love it. that so much. Man who wrestles with his mm-hmm. hands in his pockets. Yep, and he's amazing at it. That's the thing. He is. He's. He is fucking amazing at it. It's just like. This, this shouldn't be possible. They've expanded the best friends now because Trent was out for a long time because he had an injury and then he was back for a while and now he's gone again. And Chris Statlander, who is one of my favorite females, who is, you know, basically her character is an alien from the Andromeda That's Galaxy. right, her! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Statlander. Love her. Absolutely love her. Now she's part of the best friends. Awesome. And now they've got this new guy named Wheeler Yuta, who is obviously of Japanese descent, and he is very pretty to look at. Ah. <laughs> I just and he's now part of the best friends. And I'm just like, I am really loving <laughs> seeing all these people expand and become part of the best friends. So that, you know. There's not just one or two people holding that sort of mm. coalition together, so and they still do the they still do the hugs. Nice. They still do the hugs. All right. Because you got to give the people what they want. <laughs> I need to give this a watch because for ages since I've watched wrestling, I used to watch WWE, and then it seemed like all the kind of fun weird stuff that I liked, you know, like Bray Wyatt and New Day and all that sort of stuff, was just sort of being phased out, and they're trying to take themselves too seriously. Also, Vince McMahon is an ass. Complete and total. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, Tony Khan, who is basically the creator of and head guy at uh, AEW, is you would mistake him for a college kid in jeans and a (laughs) t-shirt if you were just passing him on the street. 
okay. but he is extremely intelligent, extremely intelligent, mm-hmm. and extremely dedicated. And he just wants people to be happy. And the best part about their whole thing at AEW is, yes, you have a contract with AEW, but you can go wrestle at Impact. You can mm-hmm. go wrestle at New Japan. You can stream on Twitch. You can do whatever else you want really to promote your character. Yeah. And, you know, go for it. They have other people come in from other wrestling uh, co- coalitions and uh, and do guest spots on dynamite and on dark and stuff like that. Nobody else does that mm. that much. So they get they do give a lot of time to independent wrestlers and this has become the wrestling corner <laughs> <laughs> here on the Vedic Assembly. Okay, that's three times I've made that joke. Now stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't make it again because then it won't be funny. So but yeah. Um but I liken uh, Kira Norris to a fierce lady wrestler. Yeah, honestly, yeah. She she just will she will not take your crap, mm. and she will take you down yeah. if you get in her way, whether it be physically or tactically or <laughs> whatever. She will take you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. So yeah, where have we? All right, so we've kind of looked at her kind of early life i i really like that they you know that they decided to write her character that she basically joined the resistance as a child you know she's Mm. you know essentially a child soldier which is its own you know very kind of deep and dark issue depending on how it happens but then again in a situation like this um and another like kind of new real world somewhat analog i think um uh is the ypj uh which i i don't know what the acronym stands for because it's in kurdish but the translation is women's protections units which is the all-woman rebel fighting force in uh kurdistan in northern syria in uh, rojava and i think like a lot of the women and even girls who join that are are also quite young and the force itself has received some allegations i have no idea if they're substantiated of using child soldiers um but even if that is true like these are people fighting for their homeland so if it's someone joining of their own volition because you know their livelihood and their life and their home is threatened it seems like that's different i don't know enough about this to to really comment on it but i don't know the i the idea of you know like that they that they didn't sort of shy away from anything like that when writing the character of kira and we're like no like she was she was like not just a teenager like 13 like basically a child when she you know joined a you know militia resistance force and was killing cardassians mm-hmm. well you know you can spin it it's it all depends on what side you're on mm. uh if you're fighting her or if you're an ally yeah but i i like to think of it this way um because somebody's pointed this out multiple people have pointed this out uh let's take the story of star wars 
Mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker's our hero, right? Um, but take a look at it from the Empire's point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this farm boy, this this teenager, is radicalized by an almost dead religious sect against the current government of the galaxy and leads a rebellion that kills hundreds of thousands people. of people. <laughs> I, I thought Mark so, Hamill himself uh, like shared an image with that, with that written on it. Yep. 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 So it's all in how you look at mm-hmm. it. Nuance, nuance, yep. context. So who's telling the story? Yes. The story will change depending on who's telling that story. Yeah. It's the same story either way, but it's all from a certain point of view. Exactly. Mm. So I un- I understand why our gut reaction to child soldiers is, oh, no, that's terrible. But I have to believe that this was Kira's choice. Yes. It wasn't just about her. I... I, I, I pretty much feel you know i it's not it's only from her own lips that we hear these stories on deep space nine but i have to assume that she was aching to do something Mm. because yes her family is artisan cast but she doesn't know how to sculpt (laughs) or make anything she doesn't she feels she doesn't have that talent at all Mm. she is not good at that she is good at fighting yeah and so that's what she does what she is good at to help free her people Mm. we want to move on to like i guess you know her sort of working with starfleet now because it is that is an interesting progression it is really uh, you see a real kind of um what what's the word i'm looking for it's like a almost like a a pull in different directions like a kind of discrepancy inside her that you can see she's feeling this um Mm. especially in the is it the circle trilogy when we have all the stuff about the conmar and is it lee nalis I think so. I've got the bloody thing open right here. I should just check it out. But yeah, where, you know, obviously there are several um, people within the Majorans who see like Starfleet and the Federation's involvement as being, you know, very much the same as the Cardassians are like, oh, it's it's another occupying force coming in here. Mm. And, you know, they're suddenly looking at Kira and they're calling her a collaborator. And it's like, even though, like, she knows that it's different, like, she knows that, you know, the Federation aren't going to treat them the way the Cardassians did. I feel like just just the fact of being called a collaborator, it must, like, really cut to the core. If if you've been someone like her and been fighting so hard all your life for Bajoran independence. And I I believe in the early days that it does. Yeah. But it's, it seems to me that through her progression through the seasons, she comes to understand that she can't control how other people view her. Mm. Yeah. She can only control how she views herself. And that's all any of us can do. Mm. 
And yes, stuff like that can still bother you and should bother you. But you have to be able to sort of divorce yourself from that because the only expectations you really need to live up to are your own. The ones you set for yourself. And of course, you know, there are expectations in duty and stuff like that. But I'm just talking about just in life in general. And I think she figures that out mm. throughout the series. Is that she is never going to be able to please everyone. Yeah. And she she will do her duty no matter what. She will do that. But she knows she's not a collaborator. What she's doing is once again serving her people yeah. in the best way that she can. Yeah, she she is at the end of the day, yeah, doing what she believes is the right thing for her people. And I think the only only moments when she falters is when she's not sure if she's doing the right thing. And yeah. yeah, maybe sometimes that's inspired by like someone calling her out on what she's doing, but yeah, but I mean she always kind of comes back to it in the end. She's like, "No, even if, you know, it's not ideal, having the Federation here is the best thing for us now." Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if the Cardassians had stayed in power after they retook Terraknor and controlled the wormhole. Yeah, exactly. They would basically it would be back to the same old story. Mm. And whether they actually had, you know, labor camps and all that sort of stuff again is inconsequential. They would have still been the ones in control. They would have still been the ones mm. who could keep people out or let them in without any confirmation, permission, whatever, sanction from the government yeah. on Bajor. Yeah, they, 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 they would care. have. They would have found a way to, you know, yeah, yeah, whether through sanctions or underhanded means or whatever, they would have found a way to dominate Bajor again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they needed their resources. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what an excuse. Mm. What an excuse. Needed your resources, my ass. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I can, I can understand how she would feel at being called a collaborator, especially when she is truly working to represent her people to the Federation and to Starfleet. Yeah. Because I think at, at the end that, of the day, she's very much a pragmatist. Yes. You know, like she yes. obviously started off very, very idealist. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine, and obviously, thankfully, never having had to go through this myself, but it seems like, you know, if having to go through so much hardship and, 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 war and like you know a really dirty you know guerrilla war mm -hmm. it the only way to survive something like that would be to come out as like a very like practical pragmatist kind of person like that yeah yeah and it makes sense which you know <laughs> i'm reminded of a line from a very bad movie <laughs> It's like, you're an idealist. 
in the in the seventies we could be idealists, but in the eighties it's too expensive. <laughs> what is that movie? <laughs> Mega Force. <laughs> I, I haven't even heard of that. Um, it's it's Barry Bostwick in a gold lame cat suit, and boy, is he packing a subway sandwich <laughs> up in there. Um, <laughs> like, damn, Barry. <laughs> Oh, dear. oh, it's terrible. It's it's ab- if you however ter- however bad I said Krull was, Megaforce <laughs> is ten times as bad. Megaforce. Also, I love it. Also, I still love it. It is so bad. <laughs> oh, I love a good bad movie. I just you, oh yes. You sing back in a subway sandwich. You 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 do know what the uh, Australian slang is for like a little speedo? Mm-mm. Budgie smuggler. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions. Oh my god, I've got to write this down. I've got to write this down. Budgie smuggler. (laughs) Oh my god. I love it. Yeah, this is not something um, I noticed as a kid. Yeah, one of our previous um, uh, more conservative, probably the most conservative of our our recent Prime Ministers, Tony Abbott, was uh, infamous for um, always wearing a a very small red budgie smuggler when he went to the beach and he was a real active guy. He went to the beach a lot and cycled a lot. Yeah. Which is weird for someone weird that he would cycle so much for someone who was so adamantly against any kind of like climate change mitigation policy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm so sick of people. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just say I'm so sick of people who, but it's just, I'm so sick of people now. It's just, yeah, I, it's, there are more people that I'm sick of than not. So I just say I'm sick of people. To be fair, um, Barry's cat suit is like full body, like long sleeves and everything. I mean, it's not that he's not covered, but it is tight. You can see it. It is tight. You can see Yes, like there's a loaf of French bread in there or something. It's just, damn. I can't remember who it was. I just remember hearing a story of some like 60s, 70s rocker who, you know, went up on stage with really, really tight pants on and apparently had shoved like a a long balloon down like one of his pants legs and at one point in the show just slapped it and popped the balloon. Presumably just to, like, scare the crap out of his fans. Wow. (laughs) I have no idea if that's a real story, because I don't even know who it was meant to be about. (laughs) So if anyone hearing this has also heard that story and knows who it was and knows if it happened or not, let us know. Yeah, please get in touch. Get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at Vedic Assembly. (laughs) (laughs) Just tweet at us let us know. Oh, dear. That's crazy. Okay, back to Kira. I'm I'm so good with the tangents, you know me. Queen uh, all the best podcasts get drawn away on tangents. Yes, well there there are those who don't like it. And if if there are listeners who don't like it, well don't tell us because we're not going to stop. Yeah. We can't. So you can like it or lump it. <laughs> this is who we are. <laughs> 
Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it's an old all British right. saying. <laughs> yeah, back to Kira. Yes. It's... Yeah. There's so much to talk about with her. So much that you almost just don't know where to go. Um, I would like to talk about her personal relationships. Oh, yeah, too. definitely, definitely. Yeah, not not just the romantic side of it, but just in general, her relationships with the rest of the crew mm. uh, on Deep Space Nine. And her relationship with Cisco, especially in the early days, they kind of test each other. Yeah, lot. definitely. And that's understandable because they're getting to know each other. Of course, she's got this sort of reverence for him mm. because he's the emissary. Um, but she also has to remember that he's still a man and a, her commanding officer, mm. like a mortal being. When I say man, I don't mean a man. I mean a mortal being. And uh, that she answers to him in regards to what she does on the station so those early days, you know, seasons one and and part of two, she's getting more comfortable with him. But there still are those moments where you think that he's going to not trust her or she's going to not trust him. Mm. And that's, that changes. And I love that change because... They get to this point where they are just, they know each other so well. They know, they each know what the other person is going to do. And they just, it's just trust. They're not just colleagues anymore. Mm. They become friends. Yeah. They become family. And I, I love that because Kira seems like she would be prickly when it comes to having that kind of close relationship mm. with anyone that she works with because she seems in a lot of ways to want to keep it all business yeah but i think because the rest of the crew which are mostly starfleet people are just so relentless <laughs> in their in their ability to want to connect with her that she can't help it. Mm. She just can't help but sort of fall in love with all of them. Yeah. And consider them family. And I also really love the relationship between her and Dax. I was just about to say, yeah, I, I love there you go. their relationship <laughs> as well. They're just you know, such fast friends and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, kindred spirits, but also in others, like very different. But in their interactions together, you get the feeling that definitely, like, Dax brings out the best in Kira or, or you know, brings out her fun side. You know, Dax is the one who, mm -hmm. you know, allows Kira to just have a good time. Yes, I remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which episode it was, but I couldn't tell you because it's just... It's one of those where they're coming out of a hollow suite or going into a hollow suite. Mm. I think they were coming out of a hollow suite. And they are in these ridiculous Renaissance oh sort of yes. princess outfits <laughs> with the pointed hats, with the scarves coming out the back. 
Yep. And I'm just like, only with Dax would Kira do that. Yep. <laughs> oh, so I was thinking only of the one Dax. where I think they went to like a spa or something. Um, yes. And did Kira end up like beating up the mas- the masseur or something? I believe. I can't you're remember. <laughs> But she does strike me as the sort of person who would who would find a massage to be a little boring. It's like I'm mm, just lying indeed. here and someone is squashing my back. What do we do? <laughs> and then there's me. I'm just like, oh, please, someone squash my back. Yeah. Squ- squash my whole body, please. All over, please. Mm, I really yeah, I love a good those. massage. Oh, full body massage. That was, you know, a, a couple of years ago when Moya and I went to um, Cambodia and Vietnam. You know, one of the things that we really made an effort to do as much as we could was go to the, like, spas there and, like, get, you know, like, the full, like, massage body wrap package and everything that would be several hundreds of dollars here mm. for, like, 60, 70 bucks. Excellent. Oh, it's really Excellent. good. I miss traveling. Yeah, yeah, don't we all? <sighs> Actually, no, we don't here in the States because we're traveling all over the place. Oh. We're doing all the things as if there isn't a Delta variant and a Lambda variant starting up. You know, this, this is what we do. Mm. We ignore facts and reality and create our own little echo chambers. Mm-hmm. Our little world. But yeah, it's, uh, and I, I think when, when Jazia, spoiler alert, gets killed, Mm. it is, I mean, it's interesting watching everyone dealing with that, but I especially was just kind of fixated on how Kira was dealing with it. Yeah. Because there aren't a lot of good female relationships on Trek in that time period Mm -hmm. of Trek. That you don't see a lot of women just interacting and not talking about a relationship with a guy. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it was just, that's why their friendship was so refreshing. Yeah. Because it wasn't just about that. They they liked each other. They respected each other. Dare say loved each other. And then, without as as is often the case, if you're an officer in Starfleet, just suddenly they're gone. Mm-hmm. But because it's a trill, and the Dax symbiont is still alive, I think that's why when Esri comes along. Esri has a lot of trouble fitting in, mm. but I think that that is on that is her own insecurities rather than how other people are treating her. Yeah, definitely. So, but that's that's the whole Dax angle, which uh, I could go into the whole thing about Jadzia versus Esri, etc. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Mm. But, uh, but. Kira just learns so much about herself and about what she wants out of her life throughout this series. And yeah. <laughs> it's it's fascinating all of her relationships 
I mean, she already has a relationship, not not like a relationship, but she always already has an interaction with Quark. <laughs> and that's, well, Quark's basically like oil and water with everybody. <laughs> so just doesn't mix um but but that's the thing quark finally gave us a reason to actually care about a ferengi yeah yeah i <laughs> and and for kira to actually <laughs> learn how ferengis well not all ferengi are the same i guess uh, obviously not mm. i guess but obviously but quark Quark is an entity unto himself. I I dare say that there's not another Ferengi like him in the universe. But just watching Kira <laughs> deal with Quark. Especially that time she found out that that guy wanted that scan of her to make a holodeck program. <sighs> and, and that alien was played by Jeffrey Combs, but never had a name. <laughs> And things like that. She did not like being objectified. Mm. No woman does, but she especially. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh, hell no. Yeah, so, well, what did she say? Quark, take your hand off my arm or you'll never serve a drink with it again. <laughs> Yeah, he he always tried, but you Gosh. know it's amazing he didn't lose an appendage at some point, mm-hmm. just from her. Bloody quack! <laughs> and I think one of the most interesting things, because this is something that women have to deal with in movies and television that men just don't understand, and that was when uh, Nana uh, became pregnant. Mm. And generally, that is something that ends up with your character being killed off and being written out of the show. And I am so glad that they did not do that. I am glad that they recognized that she was just too important. Yeah. And that there would have been, that that they would have been just messing up a lot of amazing storylines if they did that to her. Mm. And so they found this interesting way yeah to make it work where keiko is pregnant and she's in this isn't it a shuttle accident if i remember right? yes i think she was on a runabout or in shuttle i can't remember yeah i think for whatever reason the two of them were together on the shuttle and the only way to save the baby is to transport it transfer it from one to the other yeah and so that's what bashir does Mm. and she's just like oh okay well Guess I'm having your baby. I mean, mm. she just kind of takes it. I mean, it's it takes an adjustment, but she she moves in with the O'Brien. Yeah, I have because s- seen. Oh, I'm gonna have to try and find this image. But so many people have have made uh, kind of jokes and things about essentially like all of the main cast of um, Deep Space Nine just sort of being one big like polyamorous polycule. <laughs> oh there we go like uh, visited a deep space nine saying to keiko so are you seeing anyone keiko says why well, yes this is my husband miles miles boyfriend julian julian's husband garrick 
Me and Miles' girlfriend Kira, Kira's boyfriend Odo, Odo's enemy with benefits Quark, Kira's date mate Jadzia, and Jadzia's husband's wharf. Visitor pointing at Cisco. And who's that guy? Oh, and all in unison. That's our dad. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. Oh. oh my god oh my god oh we're gonna have to post that when we post this episode oh, yeah. oh that's funny i love it yeah basically i just i i like that kira the character they allowed her to make friends yes that she wasn't always just all business all soldier whatever that she was recognized as a complex person mm. who had more to offer and uh that she had all these great relationships because mm. because i i think you know it took some time for everyone to settle in to their and i'm not talking about actors but it's it's true of the actors as well to settle into their roles on deep space nine and they were, they may have been a dysfunctional family, but they were a family. Yes. And as much as, you know, every, every like Star Trek crew, you know, every Starfleet crew by the end of the series is, is their own, you know, found family. But Deep Space Nine, the most of all, I think. Because mm-hmm. they are all, um, you know, really multidimensional, complex characters. Yeah. And it's that complexity that makes DS9 still to this day different from any other Trek series. Yeah. Not only because it was on a space station and everybody's like, oh, well, that's going to be boring. Oh, I beg to differ. Mm. Everybody in in the beginning was saying, oh, this is going to be so boring. They're stuck on a space station. Space stations are busy, busy places. Yeah. I, I don't know what experience you've had with the space stations you've seen in Trek, but they are freaking busy. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I wasn't really, well, I was technically around, but I was tiny when the show first started. But, like, I just feel like that would, seems like such a cool idea for a, for a different series. Like, I remember the, the the way they sort of talked about it when, you know, Gene Roddenberry originally came up with, you know, original Star Trek. It's like, oh, it's the wagon train to the stars. And they're like, well, Deep Space Nine is Tombstone in space. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the Old West saloon. Yep. But it's the saloon that used to be, uh, that was built by, <laughs> by different people. Mm. And now you're having to learn everything. Yeah. Oh, those, that first year. <laughs> they're just trying to get everything to work in the Cardassian systems mm. just yeah where you can tell that um that Miles secretly loves it mm, absolutely he loves to be needed I think it must be Bar Association because I watched that one quite recently where um Worf is going around complaining to everyone about just how bad things are on the station compared to the Enterprise <laughs> and Miles is saying yeah I've got stuff to do here. 
You, th- you think I liked just, you know, <laughs> standing in the transporter room all day? Right. Yeah, that that was basically, that was uh, all Miles did, is just stay in the transporter room waiting for someone to transport. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that on a on a spaceship on on a ship like the Enterprise, yes, they're going and doing all of these things, and they're doing diplomatic missions, mm. and they're investigating things, and they're coming across strange new worlds and seeking out new life and new civilizations, and boldly going where no one has gone before. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the transporter room is busy twenty four seven. So that that person who has to stay there for their entire duty shift, I really hope. That they got to, you know, like do Sudoku or something. <laughs> because listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Because that's just, that seems boring as hell. I, I, I want to see that in Lower Decks. Because that's the way we could. <laughs> well, maybe at some point, you know, Boimler or someone just gets transporter room duty and it's just like, stand there. Mm-hmm. The thing about Boimler, though, is he knows how to make his own fun. He'd enjoy he's it. one yeah. of those people that uh, likes what other people consider boring. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd probably be the one weirdo that liked it. Yeah. Or oh. if it was Rutherford, he would have taken the entire transporter con- <laughs> uh, console apart, apart and then reassembled it. And they were like, they come in to go to transport it, like, What? What have you done? Oh, don't worry. I can put this back together in like five minutes. We need emergency transfer now. Oh, I'm so ah, excited sorry. for season two. Me too. I don't know why I'm trying to write episodes of Lower Decks. I am, I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I can see the visual in my head. Oh, yeah. Rutherford with all these parts around him. Mm. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, yeah. So, uh, Kira has had some romantic partners. Yeah. So, she, uh, she is not adverse to, uh, to getting a little something something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's never just about that for her. Yeah. I, I feel like all of her relationships with men have been because she truly cared for them. Mm-hmm. Rather than she was just looking for physical gratification. Because she doesn't seem the type to just care about physical gratification. She yeah. has to have an emotional connection. Because, you know, people just see her as this very strong woman. But at the end of the day, even strong women need love yeah. and caring. Well, and I mean, she's, so. we know she's a very passionate person. Mm-hmm. You know, she's passionate about her her cause and her people so why shouldn't she be in in all aspects of life oh yeah she's passionate in bed y'all <laughs> <laughs> she's probably adventurous if i were to make a guess <laughs> mm-hmm. kira i'll try anything once narice <laughs> oh my god Sorry. Yeah. No. I don't I I don't mean to be I'm not trying to be any to denigrate the character in any way, but it just seems to me like when it comes to physical intimacy that she would be um she would know what she would want yeah. and go for it. Definitely. And uh and probably be adventurous. Mm. Yeah. That's my guess. 
She knows what she wants. She is in command, in charge of her own sexuality. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, again, it's a position of power. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a power struggle in intimate relationships, but knowing what you want is is really powerful. Knowing how to get it, even mm. more so. There's so much to talk about. I, I was I was never on board with Beryl, though. <laughs> Just I didn't like him. Oh yeah. <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm sorry, fans of Beryl. I just there's just something about him that just weirded me out. He's. He seems nice in the, in that sort of damning with faint praise kind of way. Yeah, he seemed creepy to me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, I know yeah. that that's... Actually, now that, that I come to think about thing. it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And actually, Dave, feel, Dave, my husband, he feels the same way. Because mm. uh, we've been watching certain episodes of Deep Space Nine. He'll just feel like, no. <laughs> No, thank you. Mm. So she hasn't had that many boyfriends, though. No, because I think there's Beryl and then Odo later on. Yeah, much later on. Yeah. Which, I I feel like Kira and Odo could, their relationship could be an episode in itself. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Just, especially when you uh, put the mirror stuff in with it. And Mirror Odo. And... Oh my god, I haven't even... It's been so long since I've watched the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes. I don't like them. We, we all know really that, I'm on record. But the, the one with Mirror Odo, when... It's, it's a long story. There's something about her shuttle, or runabout, or whatever, having to crash, and it starts this whole thing that ends up with this colony of people on a planet that are their descendants. Oh, that and one. Then, and then Odo is, Mirror Odo is trying to keep that from happening again, whereas she is resigned to this, uh, to her death mm. repeating. And he saves her instead. And he tells her mm. that, you know, he, he basically, it's the same Odo in, I guess in that respect, in that he loves Kira mm. and he cannot allow even a different universe version of her to perish. And so he saves her life and basically tells her, Odo loves you. Yeah. So get with the program, lady. Mm. <laughs> not so, not really in that way, but uh, that was quite an episode. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, I actually, I actually never thought they would get together. And so when they did, I was so surprised. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Because <clears throat> I think one thing kind of lacking, for, uh, it would have been, it could have been equally good if they just remained like really good, strong friends through the whole thing. And you could just mm-hmm. have it say, you know, look, a uh, Man and a woman can be really good friends and it doesn't have to be romantic. Hmm. But that being said, I think it is still, you know, I mean, they're both really good actors, so they play it well and it's still a nice story. Yeah. I I honestly didn't mind it. Hmm. Um, I thought 
this is going to sound bad, but it's not. It made me a little uncomfortable at first. Mm-hmm. But then I'm just like, why is this making me uncomfortable? And I can't really, I still can't really pinpoint why it made me uncomfortable at first. Yeah. Because it just did. And to this day, I can't put into words why it did. Now, after having, you know, bit, been a fan of Deep Space Nine for as long as I have, it just is just part of the series. It's mm. just, this is what happens. And, and I'm good with it. But it was just like, at first I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you don't expect it to, you know, actually happen. Yeah. And the thing is, is that unfortunately, every guy she gets involved with during the series either dies or they decide to end their relationship yeah. or they go back and join the Great Chain or whatever it's yeah. called. Or, or, yeah, it turns out to be <laughs> Kama or I can't even remember if she ended up hooking up with Lena Ellis. Yeah, <clears throat> it's... Uh... She doesn't have the best luck when it comes to guys. But honestly, when you think about it, all of your relationships in life uh, are destined to end, except the one that you choose to keep forever. Mm-hmm. That's a so really good So I can say, I've had nothing but breakups until I met my husband. Well, of course, <laughs> I had nothing but breakups. <laughs> That's a little bit like, oh, it's always in the last place you look. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, it's... When I say it's it's always in the last place you look, I mean that is is in the last place it could have possibly yeah, been. It's in the last it's place the that place... you would think to look. Yeah. yeah, that's basically what that means. But yeah. it doesn't sound like that when you say it. But yeah, <laughs> so it's just and it wasn't actually I it wasn't my own realization. Somebody else pointed that out mm. to me, and because I'm just like, well, I've just had all of these failed relationships, and they're like, well, of course you have. Because you haven't found that one person you want to be with yet. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I got that. So I can only hope that in the book universe that she finds that partner that she wants to be with forever. I hope so too. Yeah, she deserves happiness just like anybody. Oh, yeah. But especially... I think she is. Yeah, potentially happiness. more so given her her yeah. horrific and very unhappy start in life. Yeah, she she has been through stuff and she has come through it uh, with being a stronger, better person. And mm. not everyone can say that. Not everyone who is in the same situation uh, turned out that same way. So yeah. more power to her for just being. Willing to keep going, no matter yeah. what she had to endure. That isn't as easy as people think it is. No, not just, at all. It just isn't. Oh, yep. Just, God. Sorry, I'm just, I'm <laughs> currently seeing um my partner, Moya, going through, um having a terrible, you know, time at her day job. Hesitate to call it a nine to five job because it's not. They are working her far too hard mm. and she's trying to get out of that and do, you know, something else, which involves, you know, spending a whole bunch of time outside of work retraining. So mm. it takes a lot of tenacity to uh, 
to fight through things like that. It does. It does. And unfortunately, women still have a harder time with that because mm-hmm. there is still so much sexism in the workplace, no matter what kind of job it is. Yeah. There's still sexism there. And, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just like industry-wide too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. she works in publishing. It's a, it's a female-dominated industry. And the, like, the average pay is just abysmal mm-hmm. compared even to like, you know, what I get on an like entry-level technical officer salary working as a government scientist. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous why women are not valued as highly as men and why when women display behavior that may be similar to what a man may display in the workplace and then they're called bossy or mm-hmm. bitch or any of those mm-hmm. things where a man is strong and decisive and all of those things. It's yeah. it's I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And so more power to Moya. Um damn. I I just tell her I'm very impressed by her tenacity and I just hope that she comes through it all uh, without <laughs> too much damage to her mental and physical health. Oh, I think she will. It's uh, it's it sucks. It really mm-hmm. sucks to have to deal with that. And uh, there, I had a point that I was going to make, and now I've forgotten what it I was. I think I, d- I distracted okay. you because you, we were talking about <laughs> no, 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 about Kira's uh, tenacity. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, uh, she this this show was still made in a time where women were even less well regarded in the workplace. Oh, I remember what it was that I was going to say. Um, and I saw somebody say this, it was either on Twitter or Facebook. Um, and it's, it's a predicament that only women have to face. And when I say women, I, I mean, uh, women who can bear children or adopt children, what have you, but it's, uh, women are expected to work like they don't have children and expected to parent like they don't have a job. Yeah. God, that's fuck. That's true. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how my mom did it, frankly, because mm. she had three kids and both she and my dad had to work because yeah. that was just the way of the world. You know, if you're middle class, you, you don't get to have one person staying at home. It's not like the 50s, mm. which that was just a mess anyway. All, all the stuff that people think was great about the 50s wasn't real. Oh, None I, of it was yeah, God, real. I s- I saw a thing similar to that recently. It was just like, hey, guys, like your your grandmother wasn't actually happy. She just lived in a time where women's feelings weren't valued and men were coddled and, you know, mm-hmm. kept from women's pain anyway. Or, you know, words mm-hmm. to that effect. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. They only, men only saw what they wanted to see. And when they got home for the day, that woman was a slave to them mm. and Kate had to cater to every need get his slippers and fix him a drink and make sure he has dinner on time and all of that yeah no woman wanted to do that mm. no woman wanted to you know dress up just to clean the house God. <laughs> nobody <laughs> no woman wanted that 
Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> so many tangents, but mm. oh my gosh. Um, well, on that note, I, like? I'm inspired to go and make pancakes for breakfast for my partner. Oh, that's wonderful. That is a wonderful thing. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it really does. Because, <sighs> yeah, she's, she's obviously going through it. Mm. That's. I just feel for. I feel for. So, how many other things can we praise about uh, our wonderful Bajoran leader, Kieran? I, I feel like this could this could spill into a into a part two if we wanted it to. It probably could. <laughs> so, We've already been recording for an hour and a half. Mm, yes. Well, uh, probably a good half hour of that was tangents. <laughs> That's a good ratio for us. Yeah, it's pretty good. At least not like, you know, the episode uh, 15, which was Oops All Tangents. So. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's so much. So much. Because there's a whole relationship with her and Kyle Paca and how that mm. goes and what happens to Kyle Paca and then the whole rise of... Uh, Vedic win and then Kai win and yeah. just all of that struggle and just oh uh, and then there was that episode where she had to go to that old man's house and tell him he had to leave that they were you know oh, gonna God, basically yeah that one too bulldoze his house and yeah <laughs> the the what twenty fourth century century equivalent of bulldozing his house for a motorway. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, of the castle, yeah that that's that one broke my heart. Mm. It it made me it made me hurt for her because of what she had to do. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, there are just so many aspects to Kira that uh, she she has she's got layers like an onion <laughs> <laughs> or an ogre. I watched a video <laughs> essay about Shrek yesterday. <laughs> Hilarious. I think it's a far better movie than people remember it for. It, it's a, it's actually a very good story. Yeah, it's, it's good a very fun. good story. the The musical is kind of annoying, but um, oh. <laughs> the stage version. Yeah. Well, that was that was my first um, my first full show uh, in community theater after a very long absence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a, a play before that called the BFG, but that wasn't. Uh, that wasn't as long. It was it was a play for kids, and so it was a lot shorter. Yeah. But Shrek the Musical. Now that required stamina. <laughs> I bet. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> I I'm feeling like it might be time we um, wrap it up, and then next week we could continue talking about Cure if we want to. You know, we have more to say, so I yeah. think that that's a good idea, because there's, a, you know, really honestly, I consider her uh, sort of like the, I know she's the first officer or executive officer to mm. Cisco, but I think that's also like her her place in the show. Like, it goes, Cisco, yeah. Kira, yeah. period. It's Definitely. just that, Cisco, period, Cisco, Kira. So, and then everybody else, you know, you can kind of mix up the order, but she is, she is so very important to this show that, uh, it just would not be the same without her. It wouldn't have been, 
I mean, all of the characters are compelling, but there's just something extra about yeah. her. So I look forward to talking about that more. Talk about some more. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, before we close, I am here recording on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. And I acknowledge that the sovereignty uh, of this land on which I live was never ceded to the settler colonials. And uh, you can, if you want to keep it up with uh, the Vedic Assembly and our episode releases and all that kind of stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Vedic Assembly. Uh, and if you want to do the same for me, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Punk Zoologist and on Instagram at Punk Rock Zoologist. And Brandy, where can people find you online? The easiest way to find out what I'm doing is to follow me on Twitter, which is at Brandy Wine 12. Brandy's mm -hmm. with an I, the 12 is a number. And I am on Instagram, but it's under my real name, which is Brandy Jackola. <laughs> you want to know how that's spelled? J-A-C-K-O-L-A. -A. Not that hard. You're just like, oh, just like it, just like it sounds. It sounds Yacola. just like it's spelled. Uh, Yakol would be the uh, original Finnish name. Is Finnish, yeah. So, yeah. Yakol would be that, um, which became Yakola. And then, you know, Americanized to Jackola mm. and... <laughs> It's basically like Smith in Finland. There's a lot of oh, okay. over there. <laughs> so, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram there. And uh, I do some other podcasts um, about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is Boldly Go, mm -hmm. which you can find on Twitter at Boldly Go Pod. And uh, What the Future Holds about Star Trek Discovery, which you can find on uh, Twitter as WTFH pod because which is funny because those initials can also stand for a few other things <laughs> and then i do a show with my hubby called the dark corner where we talk about nerdy things and other things from a dark perspective and then there's the unready room yeah. which uh, got postponed last time because Dan did have to go out of town again. Oh. But uh, Lower Decks is coming soon. By the time this is out, it will already be out. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and we'll uh, hopefully be able to weekly cover that over there. And oh, that'd you be can really find cool. that on Dan's YouTube channel, which is Kurt Ratz Productions. Kurt Ratz is just Star Trek spelled backwards. <laughs> Those are the places, the people, places, and things. An infinite trek sometimes happens. <laughs> Not exactly sure when the next time it will happen. We'll see. I'll keep you posted. Hopefully soon. Alright. Vedix disassemble. It's just too funny. 
I always feel like there should be some sort of mechanical sound, like something being disassembled when we say that. <laughs> It'd be hilarious. Okay, gotta stop.